this MLK weekend, we're talking about something so relevant to how God used Dr. King. And I was also thinking of another historical figure who fought for freedom. His name was William Wilberforce. And he was an unlikely person to be used to see a breakthrough in the United Kingdom from slavery because he was a, a, a young, wealthy aristocrat that was actually more of a playboy leading a life of, of revel, revelry when he went on a vacation and God apprehended his heart. He had an encounter with Jesus and he dove into scripture and started studying so much so that he came back from that time and he had become a politician at 21 and he decided to move out of politics when he was talked to by John Newton, who had been a former slave owner, the author of Amazing Grace, who challenged him that God could use him in the position that he was in in politics. And then he met four more young people, one a former slave himself, who challenged him not to give up his seat in parliament, but to let God use that to bring freedom for his nation. And so he began about the writing of bills for the abolition of slaves. And the first one proposed was in 1791, and it was struck down. So he wrote another one, 1792, and it was struck down. 1793, and it was struck down. Four more years, 1797, and it was struck down. 1798, 1799, 1804, 1805, and it wasn't until 1833 that slavery was abolished in all of the British Empire. Three days before he died, he saw the fulfillment of his vision. You know, there were so many things that brought opposition against Wilberforce. First of all, his own being. He was very small. He had a very weak constitution. He was constantly sick and even battled with an opioid addiction to medicate his pain. He was opposed by numerous friends. He was uh, often attacked. They said at the time uh, of the abolishment of slavery that he was the most respected and the most hated man in all of England. The topic I want to talk to you about today is opposition to the calling, opposition to the calling. And we've talked about last week, and if you missed last week, I want to encourage you, please go back and listen, because each week is building it on itself as we march through the book of Exodus. But what I truly believe is that God has a divine calling for every person in this room today. He's created you for a purpose that he's never created another person for. There's something unique in you that this world desperately needs. He created you with a divine power and blueprint to bring about something that will be glorious, but I need to tell you that it will be opposed. It will be opposed. And so we're going to look at the life of this ancient freedom fighter. His name was Moses. So let's dive in in Exodus chapter 4. So if you remember from last week, Moses is on the backside of the wilderness. He's now a shepherd and he sees a burning bush and he hears a voice calling him to go and set the Israelites 
free. Now, he had already made some mistakes. He had already killed someone. Now he's on the backside of nowhere. But this divine encounter has happened. And so this is how Moses responds to this powerful encounter with this divine voice. It says, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I'll help you speak and will teach you what to say. This powerful rebuke from the Lord. And I love what Moses says next. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Isn't that how we are? Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, what about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he'll be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He'll speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. So God sends them, gives them a, a team, gives them a staff to do signs, and it all goes great, right? No. Watch what happens next. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? And why should I obey him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Sure, that's exactly how he sounded. <laughs> then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work. The Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you're stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave orders to his slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw or making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to the lies. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says. I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw and whenever you can find it, but your work won't be reduced at all. So that the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today or as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, and yet we're told, make our bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. They reduced the number of bricks... Uh, uh, um, computing, cogitating. Uh, the Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble. You were not reduced the number of bricks required of us each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. So this is the Israelite leaders. Find Moses and Aaron, our heroes, waiting, waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand 
to kill us. Bummer. So skip on a little further in chapter 5 to, to verse 22. It says, so Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord? Now what we ask when things start going horrible, why, Lord? Why have you brought trouble on this people? So now he's blaming God. Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. <laughs> these are, the, these are the, the, the situations we find ourselves in. This is what I've got to tell you, because last week we talked about getting a call, and I want to tell you, I, I really believe God wants to reveal a call to every single one of us. But just because we've got a call doesn't mean it's going to be easy. In fact, I can guarantee you, your call is going to be opposed. And I see four different types of opposition in this text that we're going to go through because these are the four common types of opposition. Okay? Hi, Christine. Uh, Christine is a dearly beloved church mother, and she lost her husband, Ed, who was one of the great intercessors and servants of this church, and we love you. This is her first Sunday back. And so can we extend our hands towards her? Lord, we just, we pray for Christine, uh, even as we talk about hardships, and we pray you'd strengthen her. Lord, we all miss Ed. We thank you for a life wonderfully lived, and we pray that, that these days would be the greatest of intimacy and, and your presence in Christine's home and in her life, in Jesus' name, and for her kids, her daughters, her grandkids as well, in Jesus' name, amen. We love you so much. Let me talk about these uh, four types of opposition that we face. The first is from ourselves. Do you notice that with Moses? Like God calls him, and the first thing he says is like, pardon your servant, I, I stink when it comes to speaking, Lord. Like, my, my tongue doesn't work well. I'm so not eloquent. You got the wrong guy. I, I, I remember... When I was called, I had this vision. I talked about it last week. I had this vision to be a preacher. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Like, I, I, I'm an athlete. I would have loved to do sports for you. I'm a musician. I would have loved to sing. But when you put me in front of people, I don't have something to say. And I don't feel eloquent. God uses us in our weakness. God chooses to use us in places where we're dependent on him. That's how Wilberforce was. He struggled throughout his whole life with his weaknesses. Even reading quotes, he's like, I was battling corrupt imaginations in my mind and often laying on his back throughout his, his life. We have to, to fight the, the opponent of ourselves. And the amazing thing is I, I study the biographies I'd say nine out of 10 missionaries I studied dealt with depression. So God, God will reveal these calls to you and then your first limitation is yourself. So, you know, planting this, this church was one of our callings, but the other calling that I knew was to launch a church plant to the nations of the world with 3,000 churches. And as soon as we launched, man, I'm, I'm overcome with depression. And you're going, God, did I miss it? Should we not have done this? That is what is common in living out our callings. The next type of 
opposition we get is our actual opponents. Our actual opponents. It says this, that Moses and Aaron go, and Pharaoh says, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh came against them strongly. Can I tell you, to every great calling, there will always be actual opponents. It's everywhere through the Bible. Today, we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr., and he's this agreed-upon, beloved hero in our nation. Did you know that at his death, 75% of Americans disapproved of that civil rights leader? Like, they were against him. A Harris poll in 1968, 75% of people disapproved of Martin Luther King Jr. And, and he had opponents always coming against him. He had his, a shotgun blasted through his house. He had bomb threats. He had a cross burned in his yard. Every vision and calling from God will be opposed. It will be opposed, and it cannot be what stops you. You have to be prepared for that. It's not just opponents, though. This, this is what gets really confusing. So, so Pharaoh stands up and says, I won't do this, but then he creates circumstances that actually make it look like the people of Israel are going backwards. Things actually got worse. Have you ever noticed that? That you set out on your life calling, you're like, I'm going to do this, and then everything starts falling apart. You're like, wow, I should have never done that. I should have never left. We should, this is crazy. And so things actually got worse. He removes the bricks and the straws. And so they're in these crazy circumstances that, that, they're, that they're going through. I, I, I've seen that so many times with this church where we're, we're trying to move forward and then all the circumstances just get more and more pressure and more and more challenged. And so you, you start questioning like, wow, did we make the right decision? Did we do the right thing? And it's not just circumstances. Here's the hardest one is our community. Even people in your community will come against you. Yeah. I remember receiving this call to, to become a pastor. And so I went to my my home church, and I went to ask if I could be an intern to start getting my feet wet in, in ministry, and one of the people on staff went to the pastor and said, Robert should definitely not be allowed to be an intern. He doesn't have a gift of leadership on his life. And so they, they actually came, and my parents like ended up talking to him. He's like, yeah, I just don't see it. I just don't see any influence or, or, or leadership. And so I had to deal with this being said against me. I, I remember when we were about to plant our first church. So all people's plants churches, by God's grace, we're about to plant uh, church number 15. We were about to plant our first church in, in 2015, our first one. And what happens is someone rises up and tries to split this church, the only one we had. So from within, there was opposition from our own community. Can I, can I tell you, there's going to be opposition. And so the leaders of Israel come to Moses and Aaron, and they're like, stop trying to lead us. Right? There's always going to be people that try to stop you from walking into your destiny. They're like, lead, leave us alone. You're just making things worse. So why all this opposition? Well, first of all, there's a real devil. Right? There's a real devil that tries to come against you. And actually, you can, you can tell the size of a calling and a vision by the amount of opposition that comes against it. If you're getting no opposition in life, then maybe the devil's not scared of you. Or maybe you're working on his team. 
So it's, good, it's actually good to have opposition because you know you're doing something right. But why would God allow opposition? Well, the interesting thing is resistance actually strengthens you. Resistance actually strengthens you. Have you heard of the biosphere? The biosphere, it, it was a, a created environment where scientists could use, it was a microcosm of the earth and its ecosystem. So scientists could study plants and, and animals. It was created by the University of Phoenix. And they were not prepared for the most profound discovery that they made in the biosphere. And it was this. These trees were growing super fast in the biosphere, and then they just started falling over. And they wondered why, and they determined it was because there was no wind resistance. And it was wind resistance that made trees mature. It was resistance that brought maturity. It made their roots go deeper, and it made their wood stronger. Uh, Jason, can you bring this out? Uh, I brought an oak tree to church today. And the reason is because years ago, I had a leader challenge me and say, go and get away and get the five-year vision for All People's Church. And so I went, and I'm up in Santa Barbara, out in nature, on a retreat, and I'm, I'm looking over this beautiful horizon and these rolling hills, and, and I sense that God speaks to my heart and says, I'm not going to give you a five-year vision. I want to give you a 50-year vision. And then he, he had my gaze look down on this ravine where there was a stream, and along the stream were dozens of massive oak trees. And he said, that's the 50-year vision of All People's Church, to raise up countless oaks of righteousness who are immovable. That's you. This is what God wants to do with you, except a lot bigger. Um, this, this is an oak. And uh, I'll never forget... When, um, when we were a, a young church, I was discouraged by this one season because we started getting pruned and we stopped seemingly growing and, and bearing fruit. And I met with Mark Hoffman, who is the, the lead pastor of, of Foothills Church, and I was, I was complaining about that. And he goes, don't you understand trees? I'm like, um, I guess not. <laughs> and he said, you know, an oak tree in one season will be growing and its limbs will be shooting out like crazy and there'll be all these leaves and then it will completely stop and it'll look like nothing's happening. But in that next season, it's shooting down roots and those roots, it's putting all its energy, all its sustenance and all its growth is going downward into the root system to make it bigger and stronger to bear a load and to bear fruit. This past fall, I was going through a real hardship one day, and I was complaining to my wife, Stephanie, about a lot of circumstances that, that we were encountering. And she goes, here's my verse for you. She goes, stop looking at the circumstances. My verse for you is Jeremiah 17. Let's put that up. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. It's like God's wanting you to not look at your circumstances but whose confidence is in him. Now look what it says about it. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. If your confidence is in the Lord, you're gonna be like a tree. You're gonna be like an oak. That's roots, you send out your roots 
by the stream. Now, listen to this. This is amazing. It does not fear when heat comes. Fear is an epidemic in the body of Christ. Right? And we, let me just tell you, we all have fears. But can I tell you that God wants to get you to a place where you don't fear when the heat is turned up. When you start getting persecuted at work, you're not going to fear. When, when you start having challenges financially or physically, you're not going to fear. Why? Because your streams, your, your, your roots have gone down to these streams, and it's just pulling in water. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. We might be heading towards a financial drought, but you know God wants you to not worry. Why? Because you're rooted in him. You're grounded in him. I think back about this dream that Stephanie had years ago. We were leading a, a large college ministry, and she had this dream one night of, of these plants, and they were just being plucked out, and she knew them. they were our people, and it was the enemy's hand coming and just pulling them out. And then it got to some plants, and the hand went down and went and tugged and just got stuck, and the plants were immovable. And then she saw beneath the ground, and what she saw under the ground was this root system. And any plant that had deep roots that went down and they wrapped around this metal pole. And in her mind, she wondered what this metal pole was. And then she looked at the metal pole and it said, the character of God. Any plant whose roots were wrapped around the character of God were immovable. That is what God is wanting to build in this church, is an immovable people whose root system is first rooted around the character of God. So I want to talk about four roots, and that's the first one. God is building you through adversity, through resistance, through opposition, to be a rooted person whose roots, first and foremost, are wrapped around the character of God. That's what we see in Moses' life, right? So God gives him this calling, and he freaks out. And he's like, God, but I can't speak well, and, and my, my mouth doesn't work well. And I love what God says to you, right? Because Moses is saying, pardon your servant, Lord. I, I, you know, I've, I've never been able to have been eloquent, or neither in the past nor since, and you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And I love what God does. He doesn't speak to Moses like a 2023 parent. Because what would we do? We'd be like, no, yes, son. Yeah, buddy. No, you got a great little mouth. And he got a sweet tongue, and you can do it. Get out and play some more soccer. He doesn't say that. No, what? he doesn't say anything about him. What does God say? Listen to what he says. Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? He doesn't give them a little pep talk that you can do anything. What he does is he talks to them about the character of God. I'm the giver. I'm the sustainer. I am your rock. I am your shield. The, the Bible says that those who trust in the Lord, right, are like a strong tower. They will not be moved. And that is what God is wanting to do in your life. Church, I, I want to encourage you, if you haven't done this devotional yet, it's out on the, on the uh, piece of furniture on the way out. Grab one. It's awesome. That's why we're constantly encouraging you to spend time with God. Uh, Kendall and I were at a, uh, a birthday party for a friend this week, and we met a landlord, some of your, uh, one of your landlords. I think it's some people in this, in this room. And they said, hey, I'm a landlord of some of your college students. And he goes, I go over 
to, to see uh, uh, early in the morning to, to do something. And he said, I found them all spending time with Jesus. And he's like, what college students do that? And I was like, ours do. <laughs> Rooted in the Lord is what he's calling us to do in his character. When you're rooted in his character, you become immovable. But it's not just that. He also wants to root you in your calling. Yes. Habakkuk chapter 3, it says, I'm going I'm to stand and I'm going to listen to what the vision that God gives me, and then I'm going to write it down so that the herald can run with it. I, I, I wanna, I, I, I'm believing that we'll be a church where every single person has their calling written down. I tell you, I have to go back. Even this week, I was going back and reading my calling, reading the prophetic words given to me, reading different dreams. Why? Because it strengthens my resolve because we face resistance and we have to be rooted in what we know God has called us to do. Because where God guides, he provides, right? What God calls you to, he's going to empower. That when we're doing what he's called us to, then we know we're wrapped up in a sovereign flow of the Holy Spirit. So what is God's calling? We've got to be rooted in his calling for us. And then this. I love God's gentleness to Moses. So he's complaining about, God, I can't do this. And one of God's answers was, well, go and meet your brother. Aaron has a gifting for this. Listen to this. It says this, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he'll be glad to see you. Some of us, when we start going through resistance, we start isolating. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. But do you know that there's actually people that when you go and ask for help, it will make them glad because you start helping them live out their divine calling. Aaron's divine calling was tied to Moses' divine calling. And so that is how you know it's a calling from the Lord if it's bigger than just you. We need each other. We're like those, the, 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 the greatest uh, trees that are immovable in a storm are those who, whose roots have actually interlocked with each other. They've actually interlocked with each other. So when you start pulling out one tree, it can't move because it's locked in with each other. Whose roots are you locked with? Whose roots are you interlocked with? And as that happens, you start living out your calling. We need to be rooted. That's why I'm always talking about let's be faithful. We don't give up eating a meal a, a, a day. We just normally do that. We've got to be in the body of Christ continually. We've got to have our word feeding. Be here every week with the people of God. You never know when God's going to do something. You never know when there's going to be a prophetic word. You never know when God's going to use you to lift someone else up. God honors that. You need to be rooted in small group community. That is where the strongest people are, the most resistant to the enemy's opposition. And lastly, I love this. Rooted in committed family. Rooted in committed family. So watch this. It says this. So Moses took his wife and sons and put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. This is a, a picture of a family going on mission together. A family going on mission together. Here's what I know. 
is most of us come from dysfunctional families where there's so much pain. And so what we want to do when there's pain is we want to write things off. Can I say just because there's been pain in your family, don't write off family. You, you can't determine what family you came from, but you can play a big part in the family that you create. Listen to this. It's a very fascinating story. Slightly awkward as well. And he took the staff of God in his hand. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Yikes. Okay, why? Because he hadn't fulfilled the covenant of the Lord. So when we're, we're close to God, God's speaking to us and we're actually disobeying, that's a dangerous place to live. So it says this, but Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Painful? Awkward? Strange? Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. Here's why this happened. There had been this covenant, God had said, of circumcision. And it was how God delineated his people from the peoples of the world. And Moses hadn't honored God with that. And so this is, this is the moral of the story. I, I want a wife who's willing to do the hard stuff. <laughs> Moses had a wife with a knife. I want a, a wife who's willing to get into the mess. Um, this wife wasn't coddling her children, right? She wasn't trying to, oh, I don't want you to experience any pain. It was the opposite, right? She's like, son, this is going to hurt, but it's best for you, right? And, and what did it do? It saved their family. Okay, uh, so um, singles. If you're single, raise your hand for a second. Um, if, uh, now look around the room. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> Men, you, the Bible says this, charm is deceitful, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. You want a woman who's willing to do the hard stuff, right? This, this, this is, I don't even want to talk about this story. Um, women, you want, a, you want a man like Moses who's like, he, you know, he's not just, no, let's, let's stay out tending the sheep. He's heading back to face the most powerful man in the world. You want a man who will lead, and, and let me just tell you, leading doesn't always mean going to the most comfortable place, going to the easiest place, right? Sometimes it's heading right into pain. And they took their kids. This is how we change the world. This is how we change the world. And what did it do? It saved the family and freed a generation. Right? So don't give up on family. I know there, there's so much pain when we talk about family, when we talk about marriage, when we talk about parenting, when we talk about siblings. God is bigger than that pain. He wants to come. He wants to be empathetic. He wants to meet you in the pain. He wants to, Moses had had tremendous pain from, from his, his stepfather and his brother who was Pharaoh. But look, God ends up providing him this, this wonderful wife to partner, he provides him a, a father-in-law named Jethro that we'll talk about more in the future. God puts the lonely in families, is what he says. And some of that will be natural family, and some of that will be the body of Christ. 
But don't ever think that you're on your own. Don't ever let yourself be isolated. Draw near to family. Draw near to the body of Christ. And God will use it to root you and help you overcome opposition. Let's just finish by saying this is what God wants to do with you. Some of you today, you feel shaky. Some of you, you feel ashamed. You're like, man, the things I've done, I could never be used by God. No, let your roots go down deep into the streams and let him fill you with inner strength because he has a calling and a purpose for you. In Jesus' name. Why don't you stand up?